Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Todd McKay standing by on the phone here from the he's the prairie director, of course, of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and I want to get right down to business here. Todd, nice to chat with you. It's been a while. Hey, thanks for having me back, Mr. Anderson. Yes. Oh, please. How? Uh, because I'm going to call you Todd. Hey, um, uh, today as I, I looked at, uh, you know, my various sources of information and I thought, man, there's there's a lot of money stories surrounding COVID-19. For example, uh, the Trudeau government wants another $6 billion for the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, or the CERB. And I think we're, with that, if that gets approved, and I have every reason to believe it will be, we're now getting close to $50 billion in total support. Um, it just, I understand, we're in the middle of a pandemic and people need help, but we are going to be paying for this for so long. That's the first thing I think of. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, and I think it is an important thing to keep in mind that this is a really, this is a crazy situation. Nobody saw it coming. And when you tell people they can't go to work, there's got to be some some help there. And so uh, there's a good reason that serves there. But it is important to remember, it's not free. This isn't government money. This is our money, and we're going to have to pay it back. And it's hard to put this money in perspective, but it's funny. I was talking to our uh, our Ottawa director about this, preparing for this interview, and he's like, yeah, ballpark, it's about $16 billion a month. I was like, why is that number familiar? That's very close to what the entire Manitoba provincial budget is. So it's like spending the whole year's worth of the Manitoba government's money every month. That's an incredible amount of money. And while this is an unprecedented situation, it takes an unprecedented response. Be under no illusion. This is our money, and we're going to have to pay this back for a very long time. Do you think governments, uh, federally, provincially, and I guess to some degree uh, as well at the municipal level, is government doing a good job, not just of, of helping people in need, Todd, but also explaining the importance of the money and, and giving us totals as as we go along? Because I, I don't, you know, we don't hear from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, we need another uh, $6 billion, and by the way, that's going to take us to almost $50 billion. I mean, that's reporters, journalists doing their work, adding all that up. It seems to me that... The politicians are, are great about making announcements and spending money, but they aren't terribly accountable about the billions. Yeah, so first of all, I'll give a little bit of, of leeway. I'm not going to make a habit of doing that, but when governments have to move this quickly, it's tricky, and it's mm-hmm. difficult, and I think you have to acknowledge that challenge. However, accountability has not been a strong point, particularly at the federal level. There's no reason that we can't have question periods. There's no reason that we can't have uh, in-depth questioning and conversation about all of these programs. And even though we want to be compassionate and helpful and move quickly, we also have to be responsible. And even, you know, we've seen uh, um, the federal government take a very lackadaisical approach, for example, to to fraud on some of these programs. Listen, I want the money to go to, to people who need it, but if people are stealing taxpayers' money, the government needs to make at least some effort to prevent that and hold people accountable. They've been very slow to act on that sort of thing. So from an accountability perspective, accountability is not a luxury. It's a necessity, and governments need to do a better job on it. And do you think that, you know, you talk about fraud there, there has to be an element of that happening out there. Do you think that there should be some type of follow-up to make sure that the people that are claiming this 
this money, these these benefits are are not just fraudulent about taking it, but do they do they need it? Because uh, there are people, I would imagine, I suspect, out there getting money that maybe don't really need it. Yeah, so the government definitely needs to do better on it, and let me try to help them out a little bit. Number one, there has to be clarity. Fraud is wrong. Taking the government's money, if you don't, if you're not eligible for it, particularly if you're doing it on purpose, that's wrong. And there are big consequences. For your own sake, don't do it. You're going to get buried in paperwork. Unfortunately, the prime minister uh, has not been very clear about that. In fact, uh, there's been times where he said, well, you know, we'll take care of that later. Well, that's given the green light to people who might want to bend the rules, and some of his own MPs have taken him to task uh, on that front. So let me be very clear. Don't defraud the government. You're defrauding your neighbors if you do that, and you're going to pay a price eventually. But further to that, uh, the government needs to provide that that clarity to people when they're applying. Sometimes people are getting these uh, payments accidentally. Need to help those folks out and say, hey, hold on to that money. You're probably going to have to pay it back. And lastly... Some of these bureaucrats, they know very well when, uh, when somebody's applying fraudulently. When that happens, they need to flag it and they need to move that along quickly. That's for taxpayers' sake. And frankly, even for the fraudster, the worst thing that can happen to a fraudster is that they're allowed to continue in their fraud. You need to crack down on it quickly. But my takeaway message, if I could just repeat it one more time, Hal, if you're not sure whether, you, whether you're eligible for this money, please be very careful. You don't want to get uh, caught up in the system down the road when they finally do start cracking out, down on this sort of thing. Now, here in Manitoba yesterday, Wab Canoe, the NDP leader uh, in Manitoba, was on Jeff Courier's show, and, and he said that Premier Pallister here in Manitoba is governing from the podium. Basically, he gets up at the podium uh, to make an announcement about help, and Wab Canoe and also the Liberals here in Manitoba are concerned that that government isn't, you know, that they're not getting an opportunity to represent many Winnipeggers and Manitobans out there by questioning the government. Uh, yes, reporters, when the Premier holds a news conference, do get some questions in on other issues, but... It's not a lot, and, and Wab Canoe feels like they're not getting their opportunity to speak out there for many Manitobans and ask Premier Pallister and his government the questions that should be asked. And, and I find it hard to argue with that, to be honest with you. Well, I think it's hard to argue with them because he's right. Uh, opposition parties are not a, a nuisance that we should work around when we get the chance. Opposition parties are absolutely critical, whether you agree with the opposition party or not. Mm -hmm. And in general, uh, the opposition party's in the opposition because not as many people agreed with them. But still, their fundamental uh, uh, purpose is critically important. People like Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, people like Premier uh, Brian Pallister should be looking for ways to get more scrutiny, more accountability, more transparency, not less. And, uh, you know, it was one thing when we were in the early throes of this, everybody was just scrambling trying to do what they got to do. But we're back past that. It's time to get down to doing the right job the right way. And one of the important things about doing that is standing up in question period and answering questions. As much as it's all nonsense and we all groan about all the heckling and the uh, death banging and all that kind of stuff, those questions are, uh, are an important part of keeping our money safe, and there should be more of them.
you know, I, early on during the pandemic, I, I felt like politicians were doing a pretty good job. They were moving quickly. They had to. I was cutting them a lot of slack, even if, you know, I often didn't agree with them on other things. But I'm seeing more and more politics now kind of creeping into these announcement and announcements and situations where the pandemic COVID-19 is being used as cover. Are you seeing more of that, too? I, you know, I am. And I got to say, and this probably shows uh, that I need some some help. Part of me, I like it because it feels like we're getting back to some kind of normal. And I'd love to get back to some kind of normal. But on the other hand, that also means that uh, folks like you in the media, folks like us, watchdog organizations and uh, opposition parties, we need to start flexing muscle more, demanding more answers. Being supportive of our community and working together doesn't mean giving a free pass to people in power. We've got to be asking tough questions. And of course, listen, politicians politic. It's what they do. It's their natural instinct. Uh, you know, we saw that with uh, uh, Premier uh, Pallister sending out letters along with checks to, to seniors. That's not right. And we've got to call that stuff out when we see it. Hey, before I let you go, uh, there are going to be uh, photo radar tickets are down, will be down millions of dollars. I think about half what they normally take in. Um, any thoughts on that, Todd, uh, there at the Taxpayers Federation? Because it sort of makes you, uh, you know, uh, think that, you know, they say it's about safety, but yet, you know, here we are talking dollars and it's, it's just kind of a, it's a strange uh, mix. I, I just thought maybe you might want to weigh in on that. Sure. Listen, photo radar shouldn't be a cash cow for the government. They shouldn't be a cash cow for police. If the police really believe that it's going to have a good effect and slow people down, then they shouldn't be banking on it because by definition, that revenue should be driving up or driving down, I should say. If, uh, if it doesn't work, if it doesn't actually slow people down, uh, then they need to stop doing it and work on something else. If this is just a backdoor tax, it's not good enough. And I think uh, that's uh, sort of what we're seeing in, in this scenario. Todd, thanks a lot. Appreciate your time. Hey, thanks for having me on. Mario Rodriguez is a pawn shop owner in Winnipeg. Mario, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Al. Hey, thanks a lot for doing this. I was reading a couple stories, as I said earlier, out of Alberta, and you would think during a pandemic, tough times, uh, pawn shops would be doing well, people pawning uh, their items. But at least in Alberta, and it may be different here, we're different than Alberta, but in Alberta, pawn shops are struggling. How's the pawn business here? Well, pretty much the same. I mean, uh, we were closed for close to uh, three weeks, four weeks, and... Um, you know, people are scared. People are not coming in. We are very restricted to the amount of people that we allowed in our stores. Um, you know, and um, with all this, uh, you know, fear that people have, uh, they're they're not coming in. Like, I mean, uh, most of our business we're doing online, and um, yeah, no, people are not uh, selling much of the stuff or plenty anyway. And the stories that I was reading are suggesting that because there has been some government help, right, people are getting various forms of assistance, that in tough times in the past that hasn't been an option and people have been forced upon things, uh, but now they're actually taking some of this money and buying new TVs and new computers because everybody's uh, stuck at home. So how much of your slowdown in business at the pawn shops do you think is from fear around COVID-19 or just the fact that people are doing okay and not pawning their items? 
I think it's both. I think, uh, I mean, it's a great, great thing that the government is doing, helping people they need. Uh, but yeah, whoever said that to you is absolutely right. People are buying new items because they don't need to buy used because they have a lot of money. And um, yeah, they're not coming in to uh, to buy your used items, no. Interesting. Hey, I got to ask you because I love garage sales and pawn shops are one of my favorite stops and, you know, uh, flea markets and all that kind of stuff. Weirdest thing on your store shelves right now, the weirdest thing you've got in one of your pawn shops right now. Weirdest thing. <laughs> Good question. Uh, I couldn't really tell you. I mean, I would say probably uh, gold tooth. <laughs> gold tooth because you see it all right you see everything yeah, absolutely yeah we buy it we we you know we deal lots with gold and uh we pretty much anything like we we buy anything or pawn anything from let's just say a, a gold tooth to a, to a boat to a vehicle uh, and everything in between everything in between i'll but, bet yeah, it, we, it we must make it every day interesting though eh muriel Absolutely, it's uh, you know it's uh, it's a business that you'll never be bored, and um, you meet a lot of interesting characters. Um, you know, it's that's what we're here for. We're here to help people, but um, like right now, it's uh, they're not helping us. <laughs> I mean, uh, our stock is uh, it's not flying off the shelves like I would say uh, you know any other big chain store. Yeah, and you're not seeing people bringing things in either. They're not coming to buy, no. and they're not dropping stuff off. You know what? Uh, uh, like uh, a while ago, we uh, we were approached by uh, the Manitoba Health Regional, and uh, they they actually made us stop uh, uh, pawning and buying articles from people due to this COVID nineteen, which is totally understandable, with the fear of spree- spreading the uh, the virus. So uh, we were there for about a month or so that we were not allowed to uh, buy any articles from uh, anybody or trade for that matter. So I guess people are still, you know, with that mentality that uh, this could happen. And uh, and I, like I said, I don't blame them, but uh, at the same time, it's uh, it's affecting our business. And uh, by the government giving all kinds of grants to uh, all kinds of people, uh, yeah, it's it's taking a big toll on us. Yeah, Mario, I appreciate your time. I'll mention all your pawn shops later on because I'm right out of time and I wanted to give them all a plug, but I'll mention them later on, all right? I appreciate it all. Thank you. you take care. Thank you. Dear Canadians, restaurants are struggling to stay open and our hearts go out to each one of them. I understand tight margins and market disruptions. I am a farmer. I am a farmer. I am a farmer. I am a farmer. Our industries are closely connected and we need each other. I am out in the field doing my job. I want them to be able to do theirs. That is audio from a video called Field to Table, Eat Well Together. Farmers, specifically canola farmers, supporting restaurant owners during COVID-19. And we have a canola farmer joining us now who also owns a restaurant, the perfect guest for this segment. Will Bergman, good afternoon. Hey, Hal, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you you for coming on. What's that? I said good afternoon to you too. Yes, absolutely. Thanks a lot. Hey, um, congratulations. About a year or so ago, you and your wife, Jen, were awarded Manitoba's Outstanding Young Farmers. How cool is that? 
<laughs> Thank you very, very much. Yes, we were uh, surprised and honored with that. Yeah, you're a canola farmer. What else do you grow? Yeah, so 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 we're a, we're a family farm. It's been around since uh, uh, 1925. We grow wheat, oats, canola, soybeans, and corn, and then we also grow uh, grow a lot of vegetables. And you've got a cool garden program uh, going on as well. Tell me about this. Yeah, so uh, it's becoming a more and more popular uh, thing in Winnipeg and surrounding area. Well, I guess across the country for that matter. Uh, it's called a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. And basically it's a it's like a farm share or uh, garden boxes. People call it different types of things. But uh, people such as yourself could have a membership in my garden. And uh, we do all the work. And then every week during, uh, during season, so about 16 weeks for us, 16 or 17 weeks, we deliver a box of fresh produce for whatever is, uh, is ready in the garden that week. Excellent. Yeah, there are several like that out there, and, and you and Jen have one, and I think it's fantastic. We'll get all your contact info at the end of this, okay, so if people want to find out more about anything that we're talking about here. So you're, you're a farmer, you grow canola and other stuff, but you're also a restaurant owner. You own Oxbow on South Osborne. Yes, sir. Well, I should say we're a partner in Oxbow. We, uh, ah. we have a great, uh, a great partnership group there, and uh, yeah, we... We are one of the only farmers that's uh, involved in a restaurant in, in Winnipeg, and uh, that has been an incredible opportunity and experience. And I guess it's because you're used to thin margins. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? If, if, if my dad is listening right now, you know, he wasn't very happy the first time I told him that I was getting involved in a restaurant. Let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but it does kind of make sense, right? I mean, you and Jen have a mission uh, and this fits into what you're doing because I know the restaurant is all about using some of the stuff that you grow. Absolutely, yes. Uh, you know, our, our, my mission goes, goes a lot more than just, uh, you know, margins. Uh, I, I yeah. really am passionate about agriculture education. And, you know, I can teach people all day long on the farm, and I can use social media, but once you're in a restaurant and you're, you know, if, if you, you yourself, I'm sure, eat at a restaurant every now and then, and mm-hmm. you, you experience different things, and, and it's, uh, it's cooked differently and plated differently, and you, it's almost artistic. And there's an education that can happen in a restaurant that you can't get anywhere else. And so being involved in that has, has definitely expanded the scope of ag education. Has Oxbow opened up the dining room yet, or are you holding off a bit on that? You know, I have not quite opened up yet. Um, but, uh, you know, we will be uh, soon, and we've got some big plans in, in the future, and uh, I, I hope, uh, hope to see you there someday. You bet. Um, look, I drive by it all the time. I take that's one of my regular routes. So uh, when I uh, realized that you were an owner in that, I thought, well, there you go, because I have not checked out Oxbow yet, but I've heard wonderful things about it. So I'm looking forward, and now I have now I have to go. You've been nice enough to come on here today and chat with me, so now I have to go. So uh, how has COVID-19 affected life on the farm? We know that it's uh, closed the restaurant. You're going to reopen soon, but what about life on the farm? Any changes there because of this? You know, it's a weird one on the farm. Um, yeah, the, I'm, the, there have been some changes when we go and buy seed from our seed suppliers. Uh, you know, they follow all the protocols as far as uh, distancing and spacing and uh, disinfecting and things like that. Uh, on 
on the individual farm, I think a lot of farmers, there, there hasn't been a lot of change. Um, you, we're quite isolated a lot of the time anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you, don't see, you don't see a lot of people. You don't interact with a, with a lot of people. Uh, so that hasn't changed too dramatically. It, it's more the, uh, you know, where we get supplies from. You know, we all still, almost everyone still goes to a grocery store and still goes and, uh, you know, gets gas and, and, and goes to uh, hardware stores and things like that. So there's definitely been changes, but on the farm particularly, not that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, I played the audio from the video uh, earlier uh, the video, again, is called uh, Field to Table, Eat Well Together, and it is farmers, canola canola farmers among those. Uh, I know Manitoba canola growers are in, involved in this uh, relationship, this supportive relationship uh, with restaurants. Why is that an important partnership? Well, th- there's absolutely no question that the food industry, restaurants being a, a major portion of that, uh, really have an incredible impact on our economy and our neighborhoods and everything to do with our society. Food is a huge, huge part of that. When restaurants do well, farmers do well. When farmers do well, restaurants do well. We, we, we help each other tremendously. Uh, so, you know, by, by supporting restaurants, you're supporting farmers. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's important to remember where our food comes from and who grows it and, and who's eating it too. Yeah, and vice versa, right? Both support each other, yeah. and and I think if nothing else, you know, we 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 see all the negatives around this pandemic, and we worry about the future in many ways. But I think one of the pluses that we may see going forward is that we will be more supportive of each other, and we'll help each other more. I hope that, anyhow. I fully believe that. I think yeah, you're 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 spot on. There's a lot of negative that's come out of this. The positive that I see right now that's happening with me personally, and I know this this is the same for a lot of other farmers too. Uh, our CSA is up 100, percent and people want to know where their food comes from uh, more now than ever. This is already a trend that was starting uh, that people wanted to know where their food comes from, but now more than ever. Uh, we, they want to know that security. They want to know what it's coming from, who's, who's growing it, that they can, you know, they have uh, fresh, nutritious, affordable food. Um, and supporting local is, is massive. So it, it's, it's been a really great positive. Will, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Please let me know uh, at hal at cjob.com when Oxbow reopens, and I'll mention it so people can, can check the restaurant out. And then how can they find out about your garden and everything else you're involved in? Sure, uh, I, I will absolutely do that. Um, on social media, that's the best uh, thing to find out. Uh, you can you can search Will underscore Bergman, that's B-E-R-G-M-A-N-N, at, uh, that's on Instagram and on Twitter. And Bergman, the same way as my name spelled, underscore C-S-A on Instagram as well. All right, and it's a C-S-A, which uh, is uh, uh, short for community, what is it? Community supported agriculture. There you go. Will, thank you for this. Uh, all the best. And uh, again, I love the fact that uh, farmers, canola farmers, and restaurants are, are supporting each other. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.